Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Means, The Guardian's weekly podcast bringing you up to date with all the latest developments from Brexit land. Uh, or not. I'm Dan Roberts, a man with the oxymoronic job title of Brexit policy editor. And with me to discuss why there's no policy and nothing seems to be budging in Brussels is our correspondent there, Jennifer Rankin. Hi, Dan. Very good to join you. You're actually ringing in from Luxembourg, I think. And we've got to talk about the deadlock, right? I mean, the moment has come. There's no point beating around the bush. It's time for the Brexit Means podcast to talk about the dreaded no deal. The Brits had a dinner last night with the Commission that seemed to go nowhere. Theresa May attempts to deal directly with national capitals have run into the sand and after this week's summit talks are due to restart in December but what's likely to be different then is this just the dark before the dawn do you think Jennifer or are we literally running out of road I think we really have reached the point where both sides are running out of things to talk about and and they really need movement from from one or the other. And it really does come down to money. The EU really does want to see what the UK is prepared to pay when it comes to the the Brexit bill. And the UK is refusing to do that until it gets a better sign on on the future relationship. So for that reason, we're completely stuck, completely deadlocked. And it doesn't appear that last night's dinner solved anything. What do you think they actually talked about? I mean, they were in there for what, over an hour? and a half right yes it was around 90 minutes so it was it was probably a rather a short dinner by brussels standards but and there was a very sort of fairly warm and constructive statement afterwards that said the, to- the talks were constructive although it gave very little away and in fact you could even see a, a very subtle rebuke to the uk uh, in the in the joint statement which said that uh, noted that the process of being discussed in the framework agreed between the eu 27 and the uk so you could read that as a, as a very careful slapdown to the UK that it's not possible to go over the heads of the negotiating team in Brussels and negotiate directly with Berlin or Paris. These negotiations will have to be run through the EU process. Yes, I mean, maybe I'm being a bit unkind, but it seemed to me about as subtle as a house brick to the head. I mean, it was basically saying, you know, you signed up to this, these are the terms, get used to it, right? Yes, I mean, I think I think all along um, there's, there's been an idea that... Uh, the UK can fix things with Angela Merkel or the, and the French president now, uh, Emmanuel Macron. And this really continues a, a theme of, of David Cameron's premiership that he always relied on getting a deal in Berlin to, to fix his problems in Europe. And he found out that it wasn't possible. And, and Theresa May is now learning the same lesson. Mm. And what do you think happens at the summit later this week? I mean, are, are the Brits right to detect a a note of schadenfreude creeping in on behalf of the EU27? Well, I think the the EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, is treading very carefully because there are... 
if the EU27 has so far been united on on this stance of no no talks on the future relationship until we sort out the divorce, but there are nuances, there are different approaches, and there are some countries who would like to move ahead a bit more quickly with the the talks about the future, especially countries such as Belgium, the Netherlands, which are going to be hard hit by Brexit, and they would like more clarity about what's further down the the line. So so far, well, we haven't seen a sort of a, an, a breakout of division. We have seen um, a sort of difference in language. And so for that reason, I think um, the EU negotiator will be treading very carefully to try and keep the, the 27 together. Mm. But am I right in thinking they need unanimity to change the negotiating mandate? So we go at the pace of the most hawkish, right? I think we will. Yes, we we will go at the the, the pace of the most hawkish, or the or the, or the country that's least prepared to 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 pay the Brexit bill, and that's and that's Germany. Because if the UK leaves without paying its obligations on uh, contingent liabilities and pensions, that means that means Germany will have to find these extra billions, mm. and that's exactly what the German government doesn't want to do. And that's why we've seen that, contrary to all uh, Theresa May's expectations, it's actually been Germany that's been taking a very tough line in the. The Brussels meetings on Brexit, and and they're really sticking to their guns on that, and we're not likely to see any movement in October. Mm. I think what we will see is some sign that maybe the EU27 will start talking about the future relationship with the UK. They hope that um, that will be enough to to show. So Theresa May can show her backbenchers that she is making progress. Although I, I suspect many people in the Conservative Party would find that a, a very uh, damp to say the least. Well, are the Brits involved at all this week? Will they have another opportunity to perhaps bend some ears? Theresa May will be there. She will be. She'll, she'll be in Brussels on Thursday for the regular EU summit, which is something that has been um, long planned. But she will be. She will not take part in any of the Brexit negotiations, which happen on Friday morning. So once again, she will. Um, she will. She will be out the room when all the key decisions about um, the UK's. Brexit future are being made. I'm just wondering whether she'll have one last chance to bend some ears. I mean, she's been hitting the phones this week with with Macron. I'm sure. I'm sure that she will be. Her people will be arranging a, a round of bilateral meetings, and she will be pressing the case. That's certainly um, a likely thing she would do, and not to miss any opportunity. But the, at, the, at the end of the day, the, the the negotiations will be done with without the UK, and that's the that's the framework that the EU has created through the uh, through its Article 50 process and they're mm. being very strict about that. So I, I want to kind of explore now, I suppose, what happens next if there is some sort of bust-up. I mean, it seems to me, as, as, as you said at the outset of the, this podcast, there's not much that's going to change now between now and December in terms of where, the, where both sides' negotiating positions are. Uh, and I wonder whether the only way things are going to move and perhaps move backwards but nonetheless change is if there is some sort of dramatic gesture by the brits that they just flounce off and they say right enough with this you guys are being obstructionist we're going to walk out and then hopefully see that that might concentrate minds or for something to unlock but is that how you see a no deal situation taking place i mean what 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 might a walkout look like from the brussels perspective a walkout is a, is the scenario that the the Brussels negotiators have always feared from the beginning. I don't think at the moment it's the most likely scenario. I think there's still the the room to do a deal. 
I think if a walkout does happen, it's probably likely to happen after December when it's clear uh, if there is no if there is no deal, when it's clear that the negotiations are, are really uh, at a deadlock. But it's a very high risk strategy. And if the UK does leave the negotiating table and, and walk out, then it will have to be very sure that it's ready not to come back in. Because if in order to come back in, it would have to secure a very big concession. And there are no signs that the EU is ready to grant uh, such a big concession. So it's a it's an extremely high risk tactic and it should only be undertaken if you're prepared to walk out and, and never come back. Yes, it's it is not it's not something that you do lightly and I guess it's not something that you do unless you think that it would have some effect if you think that it would concentrate minds and it feels to me that there's a lot on the other side who would just treat that with a shrug of the shoulder? It feels a bit the moment, right? I think it's. I think we're we're at a walkout stage yet. I think the feeling here is that there is a deal to be done, and and there is a sense that the EU will say yes in December, almost no matter where we are, because there will be growing pressure on the EU 27 to have a deal as well. They don't want a no deal Brexit. They don't want these talks to collapse in in chaos. That's going to have seriously damaging effects on the EU as well. So so there's a very fine line um, to walk here. And I, I don't think we've got to a stage of complete breakdown yet. No, no, I think that's right. I suppose what, I, what worries me is that I can't see them agreeing that in December unless the Brits are prepared to commit to a bigger check. Um, and the deadlock at the moment seems to be around the basis that the Brits, rightly or wrongly, already feel like they've written a big check. I mean, they, they think they've put 20 billion on the table and that's plenty. Um, and they're at least 20 or 30 billion shy of what the other side think is needed. And I just, I, I, I'm wondering how how they move forward without at least meeting halfway on that money. And I'm also wondering how Theresa May has the political cover back home to do that, given how fragile everything is at the moment. Yes, it, it's a very good question. And, and and I do think money is now the central issue because it does seem that both sides have agreed that Ireland is such a difficult and intractable problem that they will they will park it and continue to discuss it, but it's not going to hold up progress. The citizens issue, the other part of the divorce settlement is is largely there. There's agreement in reach. So it really does come down to money. And it's not obvious who's going to move first, because although remember that David Davis, the, the Brexit secretary, said a few a few months ago that the UK has moral obligations, but he's never been prepared to say what those obligations are. And now we're the EU are really pressing for the detail on that. They're saying it's it's not good enough just to suggest you might ready to pay for these liabilities and pensions we want to know exactly what you're prepared to pay but yes. as soon as the uk start to come forward with their with their offer then people will start to calculate exactly what that means in, in billions of, of pounds and and uh, that will be it'll go well beyond the 20 billion we already know theresa may has promised so it's, it's very difficult to see how this can be unlocked at the moment mm. one of the worrying dynamics i've seen over here is that the people who advocate a clean Brexit, who who sort of uh, who believe that no deal is perhaps not so bad, are urging the government to get on with this brinkmanship because I think some of them see next year as potentially um, the transition phase. But instead of instead of a transition phase taking place article after Article Fifty reaches its its, its conclusion, they think that if we are going to walk away with no deal, we're rapidly running out of time to start preparing all of the relevant customs infrastructure and so forth. And they sort of think not only do we should we be having that as a contingency, but perhaps it might be no bad thing to bring things to a head this 
Christmas rather than next Christmas so that if so that we really do have some credibility when we say we're going to walk away because we'll have a year to get used to it does that make any sense to you do you think I mean is that is that something that um that that anybody in Brussels is 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 contemplating or is that is that sort of um the pie in the sky well um President uh, Donald Tusk the the the, uh, the former Polish Prime Minister who chairs the European Council, he said last week that that we are still hoping for sufficient progress by December. But if if it's not found, then then he said, together with our UK friends, we will have to think about where we were heading. So that really did seem to suggest to me that he is looking beyond um, what will happen if there is if there is that. And that does seem to it does seem to be sort of staring the EU in the face that then you would be in a situation of a of an agreed no deal where the UK's membership will lapse in March 2019 and both sides prepare for for that day. And as, as, as far as the EU's preparations go for a no deal, that's something that is certainly being kept under wraps and officially that um, the EU's negotiators will say that there is, they're not working on a no deal scenario. They continue to negotiate in in good faith and, and want to get an agreement, although you think surely someone is, is has a, a plan in a drawer as to uh, how to um, protect uh, the EU from this this kind of scenario. I think on on the UK side, though, it's we're really running out of time even now for a uh, for a no deal, no transition period. Because if you look at um, the preparations at, at it doesn't seem that there's anything like the infrastructure and investment going into to car parks and warehouses that would be needed um, in, in order to, to be very soon and very imminently out of the EU customs union in only 18 months time. Yes. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, an agreed, the, the, the phrase agreed no deal, because although that might sound like a bit of a contradiction to some of our uh, listeners, it, it strikes me that um, we're all oversimplifying it by talking about no deal as a sort of monolithic entity with only one flavour, that actually there are, just as there are within the realm of a deal, there is a whole spectrum of different scenarios. Within the flavours of no deal also range from sort of very, very acrimonious, sort of positively spiteful um, uh, to something that perhaps um, is just a sort of friendly sort of farewell and, um, oh, well, um, let's make the best of it sort of thing. And I, and I just wanted to sort of try and unpick what that might mean, because we've talked a lot about the economic consequences of no deal in terms of sort of um, reverting to WTO tariffs and, and, and having to have customs arrangements and things. But it it strikes me that the legal consequences, the political consequences are potentially far more serious in that if there is an acrimonious no deal, this is the situation that people talk about where the planes don't fly, where there's no, where there's a lapse in, in existing aviation agreements and so forth. And, and literally the only alternative is to say, well, you can't land. Um, and I just wonder whether there is a sort of a, a, a grey area in between where perhaps some of these existing um, agreements are rolled over or there is a slightly more friendly version of no deal. Does that make any sense to you, do you think? Yes, I, I think that, that does make sense. That there's, there's the no deal that you plan for and the no deal that, uh, that just uh, sort of ex- explodes in everybody's faces and causes chaos and, and, and huge confusion. And then you are in that scenario where the, where the planes don't fly. I mean, I imagine if we, do get, if we are looking at that situation from December, then maybe you will get into the, the 
of people talking about well how do we how do we best protect ourselves um, how do we ensure that the planes keep flying how do we ensure that there aren't any of these sort of sudden jolts to to the economy on on both sides but I, I think uh, there will be time to to work those arrangements out but then again it always comes back to the to the, the central point that if the UK wants a, a future trading relationship with the EU that's all that's going to be done against the backdrop of of, the, of existing um, sort of mood and temper and if things do become very bad tempered and, and there is a sudden break off and, and uh, where the UK is hurtling out of the EU with no deal, that's going to make it extremely difficult, I would expect, to, to negotiate the kind of deep free trade agreement that the, the UK says that it wants. Mm. I mean, do you think money uh, has a potential to poison that too? I mean, I wonder whether if the Brits walk away, not just not offering 20 billion, but 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 paying nothing, I mean, in, including the the, the sort of immediate um, obligations of the current budget round, won't they be seen as in default effectively by Brussels? Won't that um, turn us into a sort of legal pariah in the eyes of, of many? Or do you think they'll just sort of see that as part of the argy-bargy? I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think it would be poisonous if, if the UK walked away um, in, in within the EU's eyes, not paying its its obligations for 44 years of, um, of membership of the club. I think that would poison any discussions on the future relationship, trade and foreign policy and all sorts of areas beyond. And I think that, that would be extremely difficult for the UK to get the kind of economic integration it would like. And it's already a, a tall order. In fact, the UK is already going to have to sacrifice um, quite considerably on on economic integration if it does want to to leave the EU and and uh, in, and to get a, a different relationship in terms of sovereignty. That's already going to be a big demand for the British economy. And I think if if this is against the backdrop of a a very poisonous and nasty divorce, then I think things are going to to look very unpromising in, indeed for that future relationship. Yes, because I think this is where we get back to a sort of a disconnect between how the two sides approach this, in that the Brits see money as um, another bargaining chip. And, and if there isn't a bargain to be struck, then that's just one of those chips that gets put back in the pocket and never gets used and uh, whereas it feels to me um, and I'm not quite sure whether they're right to think this but nonetheless it feels to me that a lot of the people on the EU side don't see money as a bargaining chip but 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 a sort of a, a sign of good faith that that, that that unless we settle our debts then we, we can't get into the bargaining phase and I, I, I'm just curious as to what sort of if that is how they view it in the event of a bad deal what sort of remedies there are do they do they come after us in the courts do they in pound British goods at the border. I mean, how nasty could this get if that is how they view it? I think it, it it sounds like a question for lawyers and something that could run for years and years and and certainly also something that EU would be be loath to do. I mean, you, there have been scenarios discussed where this could go to to some kind of international tribunal, maybe one of the one of the courts at the Hague, to, to try and settle the the question of the Brexit bill. But this is certainly going to take years, and the EU would have, have no guarantees that it would come down in in their favour. So, and I think they that you. In your, you did hit the nail on the head, really, that for the EU, this is this is not a bargaining chip. They see this as something that is not there, not up for negotiation, but simply the the, the UK fulfilling uh, its promises over the last uh, few decades. And Michel Barnier, the 
chief negotiator said as much at, at his l- last press conference that uh, this was not something he was going to make concessions over. He didn't see the need for concessions because this is the, the UK has promised to pay. So you could you could say that given that the British government has said they do have these moral obligations to the EU, maybe it could save uh, some time and diplomatic. Uh, heartache uh, further down the line simply to to give some kind of signal as to what they might be prepared to pay yes well it sounds like it's going to be a very bumpy road over the next few weeks uh, we'll have to leave it there for this week um, my thanks to jennifer rankin for joining us next week we're discussing brexit and food so if you have any questions about that email us at brexit means at the please subscribe and review on all your favorite podcatchers and join the discussion on twitter just search for guardian podcasts till next week i've been dan roberts the producer is rowan slaney and this was brexit means thank you for listening great podcasts from The Guardian. Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.